There's a communal aspect to our calling as God's people, but there's also an aspect of our relationship with God that causes us to separate ourselves for the purpose of seeing things God's way. Hi, I'm Femi Osabin, a preacher for the Church of Christ. Today's sermon, Separated for the Benefit of All, taken from Habakkuk 1, 1 through 4, where Habakkuk sees the predicament of God's people and tries to intercede on their behalf to God. Habakkuk demonstrates how a godly person, even by themselves, can try to have a positive influence on God's people as a whole, especially in hard times during prayer. Hopefully, we understand the impact we can have on the church, and even in hard times when it appears many of God's people are not living right, we can exemplify the faithfulness that God would have us do. As God's people, it's easy to see ourselves in the context of community because that is how God has ultimately called us together as a group, as one, pulling people out of the world that would follow him wholeheartedly. And sometimes in that context, we overlook the fact that we have a personal responsibility to endeavor to grow our relationship with God on a personal basis that looks beyond ourselves and to all the people whom God has called. You see, it's easy to come to church and to recognize the responsibility we have for each other and to come and to seek supplications for our individual selves. And we're comforted, we're encouraged, we're strengthened by these relationships. But when we leave here, there also has to be some element of, okay, God, what do you want for us, your people? What do you want for me? And how can I grow that relationship? And it appears that this is the standpoint in which the book of Habakkuk was written. Habakkuk. We talked about it a little bit earlier in Bible class, but he was a prophet. And he understands who he is as a messenger of God's to God's people with a warning from God telling them what they need to do to be in accordance with his will. And yet he's not so much concerned about just me, 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 me. He looks out and he says, us, we, your people. And he's basing it not upon feelings, but of an understanding of what God is calling us all to do. That's a point in which every Christian, every child of God must get to. You see, this personal relationship with God is something that is very important for us if we are to maintain the community that God calls us to. Habakkuk 1, 1 through 4 highlights this. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are they that rise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass around the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. 
You see, in Habakkuk's recognizing of who he was as a child of God, where he was within the people of God, he saw that it was a necessity for him to separate himself from society so that he could see how God saw, so that he would not be influenced by the ways of the world and in the path of condemnation, just like the rest of the world. You see, that's a difficult thing to do. And we kind of experienced it real time, I would say, even with this congregation as a whole, because there was a big influence for people to go to online worship, for people to stop coming to gather together to, to worship God because of a virus that was prevalent in the society. And if we would have just said, okay, we're going to succumb to what everybody else in the society is doing, dare I say what the Christian community, those in the Church of Christ by large are doing, then we would have just stopped coming. We wouldn't have stood up and said, okay, let us see what God is calling us to individually to and consider maybe we have a responsibility within ourselves to show a concern for all and bring our cares to God about what everybody's going through. Because we recognize that there's wrong in the world and that some of that wrong is being participated in through God's people. And it's incumbent upon us as individuals to learn to separate ourselves from society from church collectively to build our relationship with God individually while still having concern for everybody as a whole. It's a very selfish ethos that's in this world today. That I'm baptized and that my salvation is just for me. That I go to church and that's just for me to build me up, to get what I need out of it so that I can be what God wants me to be so that I can get to heaven. When in actuality, God is calling us together to build up the whole. And at times, one person can make a mighty difference within a group, especially when the group is not seeing it exactly how God wants to see it. So that's why it is important for each and every person to build that relationship with God so that they can ensure that they're looking at things the way God wants us to see it and that they are looking past themselves and that their prayers, that their actions are going towards building up the whole concerned about the body that God is concerned about as well. And as we think about this, the responsibility that the one has, we're mindful of the fact of how did we enter into this relationship with God? I know it was through the watery grave of baptism, but what was that initial emotion, that initial thought that got us to commit to God? And dare I say it might have come out of one or two places. It might have come out of fear or it might have come out of love. 
You see, when I was coming up, there were a lot of sermons that were hellfire and brimstone. And those sermons, no doubt, left you fearful and trembling that if you were not baptized, you were going to go to hell. And that you must act so that you do not go to hell. Because the whole point was to scare you into doing what God wanted you to do. Habakkuk, he sees this. Listen to what he says in verse number two of the third chapter. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. Yes, we are afraid when we understand who God is and what he's saying. Even so much so that the children of Israel, when they heard God speak to them at Mount Sinai, they were so fearful and trembling that they told Moses, you talk to God for us and tell him what he says, because if we hear his voice again, we will die. I think that is the right reverence place to start with, with understanding who we are before God. Because we never want to trivialize God, but I don't think we ever want to just stay at the place to where our whole relationship is based upon fear. Just think of it. Any relationship that you have that's based upon fear, you're not going to give the best of yourself to a person. I think about my relationship with my kids, my wife. If I did everything Just because I was scared to lose her, it wouldn't have the depth of love that it would require for us to build, to be stronger. Now, we might stay in relationship forever because it's motivated on fear, but it would never be just quite what it could be if there was other things involved. If my kids, they just did what I said because they were scared that if they didn't do it, there would be some type of repercussions. They might do everything I ask, but it wouldn't be done in the manner in which I really would want it done. And you think about that with God. He wants us to fear him because it shows that we understand the disposition that we have with him, that he is greater than us, that he's holy, and that he is our creator and that he demands a level of reverence that is associated with fear. But what really happens once you really understand God, I believe it moves from fear to love. And it's protected by the initial fear because you never disrespect it and you hold it in reverence, but then you're motivated to do things to grow that relationship with God because you start to love him. Just consider how your relationship with your parents matured over time. Hopefully you had a healthy one with your parents to where at some point you did what they said because you didn't want to get spanked. But then We see this with a lot of kids in healthy environments. What happens is they start doing things because they love their parents and they want to please them. And so they do their best. They give their all 
They know they could get spanked if they don't do right. But what they understand is that now that this is some love associated with it is deeper. And now I look to please my parent. And as children of God, when we grow from that fear to that love, then we start looking to please God to do the things that he would have us to do. And then we start considering God's people even that much more. And we start doing things from a more genuine perspective, from a more honest place. And it builds the community. And it has an impact that only improves not just our relationship, but the relationship of others whom God is calling to himself. But we also know that while we usually start our relationship out of fear of God, that's not where he wants it. Listen to what Habakkuk 3, 16 and 17 says. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit be in the vine. The labor of the olive shall fall, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fall, and there shall be no herds in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he will make my feet like hinds feet and he will make me to walk upon my high places. You see, what happens is that Habakkuk understands that this relationship that I have with God. It grows to a point to where I have joy in it. It grows to a point to where no matter what's going on in life, even if it seems like it's bad. I am sustained merely on my relationship with God because I've moved past fear to love, to enjoying, to cherishing, to obedience, to reflecting God in this world, which I might not have started from. But that's what it takes. And that's what somebody in God's community has to get to. Because we stay in the world to where we have so many influences that are causing us to be worldly and not to be godly. And are causing us to evaluate Christianity on the wrong terms. That there needs to be the influence that shows us what it looks like properly. There needs to be that person that walks through this life that says, I am happy that I know God, that I am in Christ, and it's not just because what he's given me. And because I am joyous of that relationship, I am concerned about my fellow brothers and sisters and the condition of God's people, and so I do things to try to improve us as a congregation, as a whole, and it's not just limited to the people I worship with, but it's to God's church as a whole. Because an understanding has arisen that the person knows that their relationship with God 
extends beyond their situation and beyond them. And God wants to have us to have that relationship out of joy, out of appreciation of who he is and what he does for his people. And when that happens, when that happens, we see the depth, we see the value in worshiping God. And we do not allow the world to hinder that. Habakkuk 1 and 2. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry without not hear, even cry out unto thee of violence and without not save? You see, somebody with a worldly mind would say that God's not listening to you, so you do not need to worship him. You do not need to, to give him your respect because God doesn't care about you. But a person who understands who God is and how God operates and the love that God has for his people and the joy of a true, genuine relationship with God, what they'll say is, I need to demonstrate some patience because God is acting. And God does hear, and the silence that I am receiving right now is not an indication of my condition with God. It's just that God is going to operate for my good in due time. And I'm not going to allow this to stop me from worshiping. Or... As some people will think, you know what? I'm not going to worship because God doesn't answer, respond how I want him to. You see, we, we talked about how Habakkuk was asking God to do something because Israel at this time was full of sin and people were reacting and living violently. They were taking from the poor. They're, they're utilizing their power to benefit themselves and disadvantage God's people. And what God says, okay, I'll bring a worse people than you. I'll bring the Chaldeans. And sometimes we don't understand why God responds the way he does. And that would not be how we would, but that shouldn't cause us not to worship. Have you ever asked God for something in the prayer? And then he responded, but in a way that it felt like that was bad news for you. Maybe you say, you know what, God, I, I'm having a rough time. Could, could you help me? Could, could you give me a, 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 a what some people say, a blessing, a raise? I need some more money so I can take care of some bills. And then you find yourself losing your job for the right purpose. You ask God to, to show you some patience. And you found yourself in a situation to where you really needed to demonstrate some patience. You really had to wait on God, almost like Habakkuk, that, that it didn't seem like God was hearing you and you was praying, calling out to him. Or maybe you asked for help in a relationship and it seems like that person in the relationship just was emboldened to treat you worse. And you say, God, this is how you respond to me. What some people with a lack of faith would do is look at that and say, God is not helping me how I want, so I'm not going to worship him. 
But that is the wrong response. And what we must get to the point to recognize is that when we call on God to act, we have to trust the way in which he acts. We have to have faith that the situations that unfold that are presented to us are really going to work out for a godly result, even if that means in the present moment it causes us a little bit more anguish, anxiety, hard times, because God is really working for his good with the Chaldeans. He punishes Jerusalem with them, but then he also punishes the Chaldeans. Or is it that you look at what you have in your your life and you say, I don't have it like everybody else. There's a lot of people who are worshiping God falsely or not even worshiping God, and they have everything that they want. They have the money. They have the relationships. They have the prestige. They have the just whatever it is. Everything goes their way. And here I am trying to be faithful, and I'm going without. I can barely pay my bills. I call loved ones and they don't answer the phone. I go to church and it doesn't seem like the messages are are reaching me where I need to reach. I, I do good and it seems like nothing but bad happens. So I think, you know what? I'm going to try another route. That's not the answer. Rebecca already demonstrated at the end of this uh, book that our situation, our lack of resources should never be a reason why we do not grow our relationship with God. Listen to what he says one more time. When I heard my belly tremble, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered into my bones and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the laborer of the olive shall fail and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the foes and there shall be no herds in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will joy in the God of my salvation. You know what that kind of sounds like? Around February, March, when the coronavirus first hit and you went to the grocery stores and there was nothing in the grocery stores. Some people even lost their jobs. But you was going out to get resources so that you can eat and everything was scarce. And no matter how hard you tried to get it, you just couldn't get it because it wasn't available. And what Habakkuk says, even in this situation, I rejoice in my relationship with God. And sometimes it doesn't even take a a pandemic to hit. Sometimes it's just the ebb and flow of life. We lose track of a bill and then it comes up. And so you got to use your grocery money to cover the bill. 
which messes up your rent money. And so you have to make some kind of allowance with your landlord or, or with the bank, with your mortgage. And, and the bills just still don't add up. So you got to call the, the, the electric company and tell them I'm going to have to pay you next week. And your car notes due, And all of your resources are seeming to be at their end. But when your relationship is right with God, that doesn't matter. Because you're secure in that relationship with him. And none of that is a factor in the joy that you feel because of who you are with God. You see, to get to that point, it really takes faith. And that faith, it will hold you, it will secure you to a whole bunch of different situations in life. You see, we, we, we sometimes just think that if I have faith, it'll make it easier. But I think it's on the opposite spectrum. That if we demonstrate faith, then what really will happen is that life situations become harder, but our dependence upon God will be so secure that we don't have to worry about whatever it is we're going through. You see, there's a passage in Habakkuk that's quoted multiple times, especially in the New Testament. And when we read it, you're going to say, yes, this is very familiar. And we're going to look at the instances where it's quoted in the New Testament. And that passage is Habakkuk 2.4. And what it says is, the just shall live by faith. And in this context to which Habakkuk writes this, which God is telling Habakkuk is, even though in the midst of me bringing the Chaldeans to come and render justice upon Jerusalem and the justice that they're going to render is of violence and they're not even concerned about my standard, they're going to plunder and pillage and take advantage and it's going to look ugly, it's going to be difficult for you, some of you will be carried off in exile, those who are righteous, those who are just are going to live by my word and trust in it no matter what's going on around them and that's what's going to secure them. Not their resources, not staying in their land, not being saved from the violence that's coming, not even being saved from the violence that their fellow Israelites are doing to them, their, their fellow uh, brethren are, are committing against them. None of that is going to keep the just from depending on my word and living to the standard that I have set. You see, in a hard time, God gave this word to Rebecca. 
But we see that it is also utilized a number of times in the New Testament. We'll go to Galatians, we'll go to Hebrews, and we'll go to Romans. And we'll see how those ver- that same verse, that same thought, that same concept is utilized and what it really is saying in the context of the life of a child of God. The first one that we'll look at, just because we'll just go from backwards forward, is Hebrews. Hebrews 10 and 38. And what's happening in the context of Hebrews 10 is, is that... It's, it's, it's talking about this Jesus, how he was a better sacrifice and how there was a law, but it just wasn't up to the same standard of Christ. And now what we have now is a better covenant in Christ because the blood of Christ is where more valuable than the blood of goats and bulls. And where I want to take off is in the 31st because it gives us this this charge that because we have this faith and we're saved by this faith and it's not the law that the Old Testament was under, but it's now the faith in Christ that we must make sure that we maintain it, we hold on to it, because if you don't, then it was all for naught. Hebrews 10, 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, but call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions, partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while ye became companions of them who were so. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds and took joy for the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now that just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. You see what the Hebrew writer was saying was the very same thing that Habakkuk experienced. That in life, those who are going to be faithful, who are called by God, are going to experience some hard times. But those hard times should not cause them to falter in their faith. Actually, it should cause them to demonstrate more faith. And that faith that they demonstrate because of their relationship with God is going to impact the whole community, all of God's people, and is going to have a positive impact. But the step further that the Hebrew writer goes is he says that if you understood that in these hard times you have helped those who are struggling, that you knew that God was working through those hard times for your benefit and that God actually was trying to save you and he has a salvation for you. If you lose faith, you will be condemned. We don't want that. 
And that's why it's important to understand that even though we're called together as a community, we have a responsibility by ourselves to, 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 to grow our relationship with God on a one-on-one basis. Not just for ourselves, but for the betterment of the whole community. Because while our faith is being strengthened, there are others who's going through some difficult times that sometimes need help. You see what it says at verse 34. You had compassion of me and my bonds and you took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have better sustenance and enduring sustenance in heaven. What does that sound like? Just like Habakkuk said. Even though the fig is not there, the wine is not there, the, 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 the livestock is not there, I have joy in my relationship with God because I know what it builds, what it really leads to. Even in my bonds, you guys robbed yourselves to take care of me because you knew that this material really didn't mean nothing in this life, but the giving up of your possessions had a greater impact in the next life. It makes you look at what you have a little bit different. It makes you think about those who are dispossessed, especially of the body, in a slightly different light. And how you can actually have something that has no value and make it valuable by giving it away. In this world, that makes no sense. But in God's rationale, it makes all the sense in the world. And when we demonstrate that depth of faith and when we know those type of things, what it should do is cause us to deepen our faith, to continue to be willing to go through hardships because we know that this is not the end all to be all, that we're really working towards our salvation after this life. And so we continue to worship. And we learn to love God and not just base our relationship with him on fear. And we look to harbor our relationship with God even if nobody else is doing it. Galatians and the chapter is three. And what's interesting about uh, the book of Galatians is that Paul, he, he, he says, you guys started off good, but, but who bewitched you? Because you started off with faith. But now you're trying to go to works. And listen what he says in the uh, third chapter. We'll jump to the sixth verse. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeth that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham, for as many are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Curse is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just 
shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. You see, what Paul was writing to those Galatians was reminding them. God was always working through faith. And that even in Abraham's days when he called him and he was thinking about the Gentiles who were not his people and he was thinking about how he would include them into salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And that the faith that is demonstrated, it supersedes this trying to keep up the law. Because when you do things just because of the law, what you're really going to do is condemn yourself because it was found out that nobody could keep up every, every statute of the law. And that's where the condemnation came in. Because if you were guilty of breaking one statute of the law, you were guilty of breaking them all. And what Jesus Christ came and did, it was he became a curse so that those who were cursed could have grace. So that those who were cursed through faith will receive salvation. And that we didn't have to trust so much on ourselves, but trust on what God did for us in Jesus Christ so that we could be called his children. Just like in the days of Habakkuk, God was acting in ways that the person who demonstrated faith really couldn't act in. He had to trust that God was going to save him. That no matter what was going on around him, that God had him. And that it wasn't a matter of what I do, but who I am. And when our faith is secured like that, it impacts, it influences what we do. So that we will find ourselves loving God, appreciating God, thanking God, and that it be demonstrated through our actions, that it be demonstrated through our hearts, that it be demonstrated in the depth of faith that we demonstrate. But then we see that Paul has utilized this verse from Habakkuk. To remind those in Galatia of the faith that they first initially had when they got baptized. To encourage them to continue in that faith. And what Paul does in Romans is to a group of Christians that he has not met personally. He utilizes this verse again. And this is going to be in the beginning of Romans in the introduction of his book to where, where Paul is laying out this case that everybody needs Christ. That the, the Jews, they had the law, but they couldn't keep it. And the Gentiles... They didn't have the law, so they were breaking it. 
And that the only way that we are actually saved is through Jesus Christ. And that mandates faith. But listen what he says. And we're just going to jump into Romans 1. And we're going to start at verse 14. It says, I'm a debtor to both the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth through the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath shown it unto them. You see, as Paul utilizes this verse again, he's trying to remind those Christians in Rome that it is this gospel that saves us. And it is faith that's necessary to, to receive that salvation that is embedded in the gospel. And that is for all men. And what's interesting is in all of these examples that we looked at, Galatians, Hebrews, Romans. Hebrews could be argued that it was written by Paul, but nobody really knows. But Galatians and Romans is written by Paul. It was the writer of the epistle who established a relationship with God that was for the benefit of the body. And their relationship was not on a selfish basis. They were concerned about the body of Christ and how they could have a positive impact to make it better. The very thing Habakkuk was concerned about and so we can see that no matter what's going on around us, that if we grow our relationship with God, no matter where the congregation is, you think of the reason that these letters were written to these churches, because God's people were not where they needed to be. In Hebrews, people were falling off and, and trying to go back to the law. They were trying to go back to the Old Testament way of living and abandon the faith in Christ. In Galatians, they were trying to go back to the Old Testament way of living because some people had came in and mixed up the teachings that Paul had given them because they didn't quite understand what it meant to be a Christian and that that was sufficient enough. In Romans, there were at odds with each other because the church had changed from Jewish in nature to more Gentilic and that they were, they were condemning each other because some people lived up to a, a law standard and some people lived up to a grace standard and they just couldn't see eye to eye because they couldn't see Christ in the midst of them. And in all of these contexts, 
God's people were in danger of condemning themselves because they weren't living up to the godly standard that, that, that Christ had came to establish. And it took one person with faith to go to God on their behalf, pray for them, teach them, have a positive impact so the whole body could be better. And as I think about us, sometimes that one person could be a different person at different times. And as I think about what we're trying to do in this community, you could be the one that in your prayer life is going to God and you're praying for a specific thing that God has placed on your heart and he hears that prayer. Or you could be that example that somebody comes into this congregation and they see and they just take hold of you because they're drawn to you. And, and, and something about the relationship that y'all have leads to faith in somebody else. Or you could see your brother and sister going through it and out of love. You talk to them. You encourage them. You help them grow. But none of that will happen if we don't work on our personal relationship with God. None of that will get to the depth that it can be if we don't grow past fearing God to loving God. And when we start loving God, there will not be anything that causes us to not worship him. And the more and more we worship and understand who God is, the deeper our faith will be and the more impactful it will be, not just in our lives, but in the lives of the people that we come into contact with. We're not facing war, but Habakkuk was in the midst of exile, in the midst of a tumultuous time, dare I say we are, economic upheaval, there's a pandemic that's worldwide, there's social unrest that is nationwide, that is threatening to change the very fabric of this American society dare I say, change it to an extent that maybe Habakkuk experienced to where everything in his world was not the same anymore except for God was in control. And no matter what was going on, he could go to God and know that his future was secure just like we can. And we're blessed a little bit more because we know that this salvation leads past this life, an understanding that Habakkuk didn't have, but we do. I'm not sure where this sermon leaves you, but I was just trying to get us to consider through the lens of Habakkuk <clears throat> the impact that we could have when we work on our relationship with God and how it can benefit the whole. 
and the necessity of having faith no matter what's going on in this world. Because at times we'll find ourselves the only ones, maybe not in reality, but in feeling, the only ones who are doing right. And if that's ever the case, your relationship with God is going to be that much more important. I pray that God leads us to the depth of relationship he desires for us all. And I pray that God comforts us when we feel alone and he makes us secure when we don't know what the future holds. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.